next on BYUSN, we examine each and every position group in the BYU offense to determine what's okay and what needs improvement now. Plus, we go deep blue with Eddie Heckard and discuss not only his greatness on the field, but what makes him great off the field. ESPN's Sean Farman will break down what he likes about the 19th rate BYU men's hoops and his expectations for Mark Pope's Cougars' first year in the Big 12. And is BYU women's soccer playing with house money at this point after making back to the College Cup? Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Wednesday, November 29th. I am Spencer Linton. He is a man who has successfully navigated all five stages of grief at the end of the BYU football season, Austin Collie. <laughs> it's good to be here, Spence. It's good to be back. Yeah, I'm man. excited. How do you do that? Because I'm still kind of feeling a little bit depressed about the fact that BYU is not in a bowl game. So how, help me overcome this, Austin. Uh, so I was watching the show from yesterday, uh-huh. right, with Jerem. And, 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 you know, what you don't realize is when you, when you leave football, you kind of fall out of touch with the evolution, especially with the postseason okay. and how many bowl games there are. What did you say there were? There was a 40... 41. If you cut the college football play, I think 41 or 42. Okay, when you said that, I kind of put things into perspective, right? I mean, I'm still under the impression there's only, you know, 15 out there, <laughs> right? But when you no. said that, and the fact that we didn't make one, I mean, it is a little, I mean, a little, it's a little hard, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Great news is, though, gives us a little bit more time, yeah. right, to do some off-season work, right? Really get on the hunt. The transfer portal is hot right now. It's alive and cooking. You got a lot of, you know, a lot of great uh, prospects out there. Hopefully, none uh, uh, were wearing the BYU helmet last year. Uh, but uh, you know, part of the deal. Part of the deal, right? It's the day and age that you know in which we live. I wish I lived in this age. Right? <laughs> wish I played during this time. It's a lot of money being thrown around, uh, eye popping money. But uh, yeah, no, I, you know, it, it's it's tough. It's tough not seeing the Cougs in a bowl sure, game, right? Sure. And I'm sure it's tough for the for the players as well, right? They're, yeah, having spoken with several members of the BYU football team, they still kind of can't believe that they didn't close out one of the final two games. But it's okay, because as we turn the page today, you're the perfect person to be on the show today, because we have to examine each and every position group, specifically on the offensive side. That said, all rise and shout. Let's get to what's trending. BYU football 5-7 and seven in year one, officially as a Power 5 program. So close in the last two games to securing win number six. But alas, we sit here, no bowl game for the Cougars. They're already making position changes to the staff with Steve Clark and Daryl Funk being let go on the tight ends group and uh, the offensive line, respectively, Austin. We'll talk about that a little bit, but I just want to examine each position group on offense and straight up ask you, is it good enough right now? Does it need a little help, or does it need a massive overhaul? And those are kind of the stances that we're going to take. And it Love starts it. with the quarterback right now. You saw Jake Retzloff. He made his four starts. Is BYU good enough at quarterback right now? Do you feel like it's Retzloff's team now and we should be good? That'll get BYU to six wins next year? Or do you feel like it needs a minor adjustment, or do you feel like it needs a massive overhaul? Yeah, so I, it's a great question, right? I think that's the, probably the hottest topic right now in BYU football and going into the offseason. Okay, so uh, first off, you know, Keaton, 
Love Keaton what was a great addition to the team, you know, not, not only as a player, but as a leader, right? Like a, a kid that came in and fit right in with, yes. with uh, the entire squad, right? And the, and the guys look too quickly, right, for that leadership. The culture, the environment, the atmosphere of BYU in general. No question, right? Um, uh, Jake, I'm not going to lie, last four games, there was a different spark about the offense, sure. right? Now, you could, say, you could say maybe it was the uh, – you know the the game type that we were playing, or or the uh, what the game meant, right? Because the bull game was on the line, and as you got they got closer, they started to realize, hey, we we need a little bit more urgency here. There's possibility we may not make a bull game, right? Sure. So you could chalk it up to any one of those things, but there definitely was a different um, feel to the offense with Jake in a quarterback, right? Uh, he was doing things on his feet that were going to keep us out of third and long, which was a, a a massive hurdle that we had throughout the entire beginning to mid of the year, right? Staying out of third and long was just not doable for us, right? Um, until the run game got going. Until the run game got the going. The last few games. But he was part of that as well, right? He, he did provide that threat on his feet that I may, maybe don't think that Keaton was able to give us, right? Sure, and sure. I think that opened up a, a little bit more. Now, statistically, I don't know how much better he was than Keaton, but there was this little bit of a spark. Now, is that Little spark going to be enough to kind of hold this spot for next year or, yeah. or enough to take the Cougars where they want to go next year and, and possibly win a Big 12 championship and, you know, hopefully make a bowl game? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, you had Trevor uh, Maddich on the show the other day, and what he said I agreed with a 1,000%, which is you have to bring somebody in just for the sheer nature of competition and what that will do to Jake and what that will do to – all of the position groups, right? I think every time, uh, every offseason, I believe everybody should start at a clean slate, especially now, given the season that you are coming off of. Sure. Everyone should start at a clean slate, and you should bring in as much competition as you can because what will happen naturally is everyone will get better. The, the level of play will continue to increase just out of introducing that, that level of competition, right? So I think you've got to bring somebody in not only to push Jake, but maybe to give us a, a, a better chance, right? The difficult part about assessing the quarterback position in the college game right now is that's where all the money is in NIL. Like, typically, yeah. like, the highest-paid players, not surprisingly, are all going to be quarterbacks. So how aggressive can a school like BYU be with the name-image-likeness competition out there? I mean, I saw Washington State's quarterback, Cam Ward, go into the transfer portal, and I think the report I saw was – in the first few hours, he had four offers of over a million dollars. I think it's 10 now. It's 10 now. 10 now. How would, how would that have been? That, I mean, that's unbelievable. So it was four in like the first hour. He's got 10 offers 10. of a million or more yep. to come and be the quarterback at whatever schools are offering. So how aggressive is BYU in that mix? Because last year, I mean, you bring up Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis was the guy that was not looking for a huge payday. He was yeah. looking for the right fit, the right scheme and the right opportunity to try and help him build his NFL stock. And yep. I'm with you. I hate that it didn't work out for Keaton with the injuries and that he wasn't able to play in his final collegiate game. That broke my heart. When I saw him run off the field, yeah. I died a little bit inside. He's too good of a guy. I wanted him. That's why I wanted the bowl game so badly. Yeah. I was like, Keaton, can you can be the starter yeah. in the bowl give, game. Give him a chance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that one hurt a lot. But it took a unique personality in Keaton Slovis because he could have gotten more money somewhere else. Right. But he found the right fit at BYU. So, again, how aggressive can a school like BYU be in the NIL game to come and try and bring in somebody to push Jake Retzloff? 
And you know what? Maybe Jake looks at this competition and he's like, holy cow, they're bringing in a, like, a legit quarterback. Yeah. I got to ramp it up. Yeah. But again, I hate that it comes down to money, but I kind of feel like it does. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does, right? And, and your hope is to find somebody like Keaton who maybe puts more of an emphasis on, okay, what is going to be the easiest way to get to the NFL or what, what is going to get me more exposure or put sure. me in a better situation to get to the NFL. But there is that fine line of, of if I am a player of, okay, there's a million possibilities that could happen that I – or inhibit me from not getting to the NFL – I maybe need to cash in now because, I mean, think about when you were 23, 24 years old coming out of college. <laughs> if you had 700 grand in your pocket, a million dollars in your pocket, I mean, you got a 10. You're 15, set. Yeah, you Mentally, a, you're set. No question. Especially if you're, if you're single with no kids. I mean, that's 10 million, right? Yeah. yeah and single feel, money. Feels like it. Right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, and you're, you're 15, 10, 15 years uh, ahead of all your classmates now financially, right? It puts you in a completely different spot. So... You know, the, the, the money thing, I don't think BYU can compete with, you know, your Washington State, any of the Power Five conferences as far as how much money they're going to shell out. Right. They're not going to compete with the guys going after Washington State's quarterback. Right. But you, I think you do have to find that diamond in the rough. You do have to present, hey, we've got a great alumni here, right? If things were not to work out with football, right, we're going we're gonna to take care of you uh, post-career. Um, but – you know, we put out Jaron Hall. We put out Zach Wilson. At one point in time this year, we had three different quarterbacks from BYU playing. Taking snaps, taking including snaps, Taysom Hill. Exactly. Uh, in the NFL, I don't know how many colleges can say that, right? So uh, playing into that and not so much the money just to offset for, for, for uh, you know, what we're not going to be able to provide for them as far as the dollar amount's concerned, I, I, I think you have to you got to go find that guy that is going to be willing to put that or make those things a priority sure. rather than the money. I think it was four schools. That we're able to say that, which is Alabama, really? Ohio State, Clemson, and BYU. I mean, what more Something do you like want that. as a recruit? Like, right? that ridiculous, That's right? unbelievable. Okay, so fair to say BYU needs a little tweak at quarterback. Not a massive overhaul. You feel like they need they need a little boost. Well, I mean, you, you always want a better quarterback, right? Like, you, you always okay. want the best, okay. right? And so, I, I think realistically – we need to just get somebody there that's going to give that, that that's going to compete and and push Jake into maybe a different category of of, of excellence, right? Or okay. or on a different level. Okay. And if not, be able to offset that with his play. Sure. Uh, uh, and, and play to the, the, the you know the, the level that we expect. I Frankly, BYU needs to go find a starter day one right now. Yeah. That's going to push Jake. Right. I'm not saying let's go find Arch Manning, right? <laughs> let's go let's go let's go pluck Arch Manning from Sark, right? But we do need a guy that is going to you know, if Jake's not going to get it done, he's going to be able to give us, what, eight wins, right? I expect eight wins from the Cougars next year. Let's Eight wins. Eight wins. Let's Hot go, take baby. number one. Let's, Let's go. go. I, I like it. Okay, at the running back position, I'm looking at Aiden Robbins, who came on strong at the end of the season. Yeah. LJ Martin was carrying BYU early in the season. He's the one that broke off those chunk plays, had the big, long touchdown runs in multiple games. They have Deion Smith, who still has eligibility. Miles Davis, and then Hinkley Rapati is going to come off of a season-ending injury that kept him out the entirety of this season. So at running back, do you feel like BYU is good? I, I think so. Like, I, I love uh, watching Aiden run. I, I love how he finishes downhill. You know, I, I talk about this all the time. When you're finishing runs and you're, you're finishing the, the ball forward and getting those two extra yards, no one knows or no one can really um, – 
comprehend like how big of a part that plays in an offense's production game in and game out. If you got a guy that can finish a run, get you two to three extra yards after contact, like and that's what Aiden does, and, and that's what he was showing the last two, you know, the last two uh, games of the season of just how physical of a runner he was. We know that he wasn't healthy early on, right? I, to be honest with you, didn't like what I saw early on, but we didn't know he had a nagging injury. I thought playing with broken ribs. I was like, dude, you're six two, six three, two hundred and forty pounds. Forty pounds. You should be. You should be toting that thing with, you know, like you're angry at the world, right? <laughs> and and he, he eventually got healthy, and he did, and we saw that. The one thing I love about LJ, too, is the, the kid is extremely young, right? What is he, 19? Yeah. Okay. Uh, took on a massive role at the beginning of the season that not many kids, you know, can handle. Austin, he's got that twitch and that suddenness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and the only thing that he was missing this year was just he was, he was a little indecisive and maybe the confidence in hitting the hole, which I think – experience is going to come. You're going to expect that to, you know, in the first year or first true freshman uh, year uh, out of anybody, right? Just that kind of uncertainty of, of where the hole is going to be um, and lack of confidence. But I think that confidence is going to come next year. Sure. And he too dealt with some injuries mid to latter part of the season, lower leg, ankle stuff. So Aiden and LJ healthy are a notable duo right there. And then Hinkley Rapati as a pass catcher, a change of pace back, added with Deion Smith and Miles Davis. Like, I feel like is pretty good at yeah, running Yeah, they got back. some depth. They they're got pre- some they're depth. pretty good there, okay? And I'm kind of getting the same impression about the BYU wide receivers. And I know this is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> okay, And I know you work closely with Chase Roberts and a bunch of these guys. What does BYU need to do in the wide receiver room? Because does – there are zero expected notable losses. I don't know if Keanu Hill is going to come back. Maybe he decides to find a greener pressure. I would, Keanu, I would love for you to come back to BYU for one more year. <laughs> like, I, we did not get to see the full measure of Kibo this year. We just didn't. He was hurt all year. Yeah. So, but there are no expected losses in this room. Yeah. Is, it, is it good enough? Oh, I think it's absolutely good enough, right? I, I, I think, you know, you look down this list, you got Chase, Cody, Keanu, potentially Darius Keelan, right? Darius was a huge addition uh, this last offseason. Oh, man, he made some unbelievable catches. Unbelievable catches, right? Parker Kingston, JoJo Phillips, who who obviously was a highly touted recruit coming out of C, uh, what is it, Sierra Canyon, yeah. right? Um, no, th- this room is extremely deep. The, the one thing, obviously I'm going to be a little bit nitpicky about this group. Um, the one thing that I would say is, is it, there has to be some fine-tuning that, is, that happens this offseason, right? There's got to be, I, I hope, and I've talked to these guys time and time again, right, there's got to be a different attitude going into this offseason as far as the way they attack the training, the way they attack, uh, you know, working on their craft, working on their skill set, because there were some things that I saw that, um, you know, uh, could have been a little bit better. The top of routes, getting in and out of their break, right? So I think the biggest, the biggest thing heading into this offseason for this room is to make sure that they're getting – all the time in that they need to develop the skill that they have. And it's, and it's not going to be done with the coaches, right? Yeah. The coaches are very limited on the time that they have. But dedicating and making sure that they're getting on the same page of the, of the quarterback with Jake and then whoever they, uh, they decide to bring on, right? Like that, that is one thing that I noticed this offseason was the downside of bringing some, a quarterback in from the transfer portal, like that relationship, quarterback-receiver relationship, it is a marriage, right? And it yeah. takes time yes. to develop and harness that relationship, and when you don't get the time, there tends to be some inconsistencies and some miscommunication, which I think we saw throughout the year. And we saw, you know, uh, in, I saw in the offseason with Dennis. Um, and so they got to make sure that they grab Jake and they grab the, the new quarterback and that they're throwing every single day. Because I really think that this group is the group that where we could see the greatest improvement, right, without any 
uh, uh, losses. Really? Okay, you feel like they could take the biggest yeah. jump. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we've got 30 seconds each for these final two groups. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and just say it right now. Um, the tight ends, they, they are going to need some help because they're trying to replace Isaac Rex. We're yep. talking about a guy who's got more touchdowns at that position than anybody else, even your good friend, our good friend, Dennis Pitta. Yep. Okay. Ethan Erickson, Matavatase, Ray Paulo, Jackson Bowers is a four-star recruit that could potentially get himself into that role, and then Mason Fakahua. So tight ends, how much of a tweak is needed? I, I feel like they they got a position coach change as well, Austin. Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like there's naturally going to be an overhaul there. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're you know, I, I think it's definitely neat. One, one person that we did leave out that I'm a big fan of is Anthony Olson. Oh, right? okay. Anthony Olson, the guy played high school basketball his entire career, didn't touch a football, didn't decide to come to BYU. And I think he, the first, first year he played – uh, uh, tight end was, uh, uh, or sorry, football was, uh, I think, a senior year of, uh, of high school. So two years right? ago? Two years ago. <laughs> but extremely fluid. But, you know, Ethan Erickson, again, you know, kind of, kind of plays like a receiver, right? Uh, I, I'm interested to see how these guys do as far as the blocking game is concerned. That, I think that new coach is going to come in and help out quite a bit with that. But, uh, yeah, they, these guys, they're going to need to put in some work as well, along with the receivers. All right, the offensive line. They lose a ton. Um, Kingsley Suamataia has not declared for the NFL draft. I think we're all kind of expecting him to declare for the NFL draft. Didn't play in the regular season finale. Uh, we were told that he was a little bit nicked up and opted not to make the trip. So I'm expecting Kingsley's going to be gone to the NFL. He's on NFL Raiders all over the place. Connor Pay, veteran center. Paul Miley was your transfer portal guy. Came in as a center and a guard from Utah. He's done. Braden Keim is done. Those four starters of the five of the starting offensive line over the last few games. So Waylon Lapuaho and then Caleb Etienne are really the only notable returners with notable experience, Austin. So what the heck does BYU do to revamp the offensive line? The massive overhaul here as well. Yeah, so I, I, I was going to say, I, the, the, the two position groups that I think we're going to see the most attention, right, the most uh, uh, traffic on as far as the transfer portal is concerned is going to be QB, obviously, sure. and then it's going to be offensive line, okay. right? We've got to get guys in there. Uh, that can start to contribute immediately, especially if we're going to have some backs that come back that have, you know, that showed glimpses of, of what the future could hold and the success that could happen on the ground. Sure. Um, th this is a, this is going to be a tough this is going to be a tough tough hole to feel right on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I imagine that we're going to go out and we're going to get some other players out in the transfer. Program. And they're coming to a new offensive line coach. Yeah. This is a huge task for BYU and whoever yeah. the new offensive line coach is. But I honestly think the only way's up. From this past year, the only way's up, baby. Really? Yeah. Okay. It was. It was it's only going to get was, better. It was that low that you feel like it's only going to get better. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm feeling good about eight wins. Eight wins. Oh, dude. Man. it rests solely on the offensive line shoulders. Let's go. Our question of the day: What is BYU football's number one priority heading into the offseason? Do you feel like it's another quarterback? Do you feel like it's the offensive line is the key to everything? And Austin's dream of eight wins for BYU football at Cougar Stats on X Answers, proving that BYU can leverage their Power Four membership, because remember the Pac-12 is going away. Don't know if you heard that. <laughs> the Power Four membership into improved recruiting results. That's been the theory for years. Lacking that status was the barrier to better recruiting, but is it reality? And how much does BYU have to rely on the transfer portal? Is that the answer, or is it getting guys out of high school and building them up in your program. The, the balance, I mean, it's, I feel like it's like a super tricky balance. Oh, it's super. It's, it's super difficult. 
I don't know how they do it, to be honest with you. It's a new world, right? Yep. It's just a brand new world. Okay, hashtag BYUSN on X, Facebook, and Instagram to answer what you think is the number one priority for BYU football this offseason. BYU basketball with Mark Pope returns tomorrow night as the head coach of the 19th-ranked men hoop team. Team joins Spencer Linton to discuss being ranked and the undefeated start to the season. You can watch at 8.30 Eastern on BYU TV app or ESPN Plus, or you can find tickets on BYUSN.com. Yeah, come join us in studio. I'm telling you, it's one of the most fun shows to watch. The coaches' shows for Coach Taki and Coach Pope. Hema Hemuli does an incredible job producing it. Up next, ESPN Sean Farnham on what has impressed him most about BYU men's basketball. And what are his expectations for the Cougars in the Big 12? It's probably going to surprise you. Stay with us. Dominate. 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 I did not go on to play. I came to dominate. Live in Studio B, this is your day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play -play. alongside Austin Colley. I am Spencer Linton. Let's now turn the page to BYU basketball, who remain undefeated. And I don't know if you are aware of Sean Farnham and his awesomeness as an ESPN college basketball analyst, but if you're not, you should get on board. In fact, he's a Cougar fan favorite in large part. He's on the Cougar, the Cougar tail bag, the packaging. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, he wants some royalties for it as well, so we'll look into that, Sean. Recently, he spoke one-on-one -on -one with Jerem Jordan about the Cougars' Big 12 expectations and much more. This is that conversation. All right, Sean, you saw BYU in person last couple of games. They're way better than even we thought, uh, and they've rallied around the idea of no one thinks we're going to be that good, and now they're one of the best teams in the country. What surprised you the most about what you saw from BYU over the weekend? Nothing really. I mean, because I, I watched that game against San Diego State and I had just seen San Diego State in Las Vegas uh, win the main event. So my anticipation was that BYU was going to come to Vegas for the Vegas showdown and was going to be able to perform at a very high level. Uh, and they did. Uh, they, college basketball today and, and basketball in general is about do you have shooters on the floor? And there's no question that BYU has shooters. I think what makes this team unique is their unselfishness that we've seen so far their willingness to share the basketball uh, and, and really not care who's scoring the basketball. I mean, Jackson Robinson didn't score until midway through the second half of game one in Las Vegas. And he's your, the leading scorer for BYU. It is not a problem. Right? And then the next night he has an unbelievable second half when BYU really needed it uh, to help them win a championship uh, in Las Vegas. So, you know, the, this team's main core, they're nine roster rotational players have all played at least one season under Mark Pope and being old, being experienced and being cohesive are really good combinations for the makeup of having a really good team in college basketball, in particular in November and December, when a lot of other teams are still trying to find who they are. And BYU has always had this like age thing in this event. I, I actually feel like it's, Finally, an advantage. Like Spencer Johnson, you did him dirty on that graphic, by the way. That was funny. I did uh, not. First of all, backstory. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to be honest with you here. So I'm at shoot around, and Trevanell and I were talking. I was like, hey, what's it like being, you know, your 10th season in college basketball? And everybody started laughing, and guys on the team, Trey Stewart, everybody's like, oh, yeah, we always give him He's like, I'm not the oldest. That dude over there graduated the same year Jason Tatum graduated high school. Thus, came the graphic. So I went and I did a tremendous amount of research. Uh, obviously, the number of years in which Jason Tatum played in college, I mean, uh, plays in the NBA, his career earnings. And then I went to Tyson 
and found out exactly the estimated number of cougar tails that Spencer Johnson has uh, enjoyed. And, and when you break it down, $33 million per cougar tail, I think that's a bargain because the cougar tail, there's nothing better than. Which, by the way, we you mentioned it, but you, you are on it. We are on it, by the way. Um, and, and, and Greg Rebell's on it. Um, I'm pointing to his office. What, what's it like to be on the cougar tail wrapper, given the fandom that you have for said maple bar? I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's really a lot of fun. You know, this, this job, it, a lot of it is about relationships and a lot about, uh, a lot of it is, you know, the friends you make along the way. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's, there's BYU fans that still remember a certain game uh, that, that, oh, he, he doesn't like us and uh, he doesn't like Haas at all. No, it's, it's never been that. Which, uh, which one? Uh, yeah. Which, which game? <laughs> which Haas? To? Um, but, you know, the reality of it is, is I cover this sport to really draw attention to the highlights of it, the positivity of, of what we, what we have to work with. And there's some games that offer a lot more positivity than others. Uh, fan bases always assume that if your their team is losing, that I therefore don't like them. Um, but I, I really do love the passion that the rock brings. They're one of the best student sections in the country and it's not even close. And I think that that's going to help this team and this program a lot as it makes its transition into uh, the big 12. Uh, but to have the relationship with with BYU, for them to to know how much I love the Cougar Tail, uh, and to put me on the wrapper, I mean that's it's awesome. I, I brought it home because I, I didn't get a Cougar Tail, but I got a wrapper of the Cougar Tail. Wait, and, Tyson you know, took you a wrapper? He took me a wrapper. He at least did that. It doesn't travel well. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, but it was good, and I brought it home, and my my kids and my wife they thought it was hilarious. So uh, you know, it's it's fun. It's really fun. <laughs> So you mentioned you're not surprised about BYU this year. Well, yes, from San Diego State, but I'm talking about like the fifth team in the WCC last year to suddenly ranked, you know, a couple weeks into the season. Other than just like straight experience, what is the difference in this BYU team that is making them very interesting to watch early on? Well, I do think it's Nell, to be honest with you. Uh, he missed all of last season. Um, so when you add a, a guy that's a 44% three-point shooter out there, now that stretches the defense. You have to defend everybody differently. And I mentioned this. I try to mention this during the broadcast, and I, I don't know if fans caught it as much. But, you know, everybody does shoot-arounds different. North Carolina State, they put a green jersey on you if you're a shooter. Well, four out of the five guys that were on the floor, and they're starting, you know, the starting scout, Foose was the only one that didn't have the shooter label. Everybody else was given the shooter label. So as a defensive player, you're like, man, I got to be there on the catch. I've got to be there in transition. I got to be there on this. And all that does is open the floor. And then that's when you see the drives to kick to shooters. And I think that's where BYU and Jackson Robinson, unbelievable find to Dallin Hall late in that game as he drove on the left-hand side of the court and then wrapped it around to the right wing uh, and was able to hit a, hit a big three-pointer in that moment. But you, you've got guys coming off the bench that can probably shoot 40 plus percent from three. And so it's a game changer when you have the ability to be down by six and hit three transition threes in a row. And all of a sudden the other team's going, what just happened? Um, and, and they have that spurt ability. I think the other aspect of it is when you have an older roster that, ha that has chemistry day one, you're not going, okay, guys, here's our plays. Everybody knows the plays, right? So you're able to really focus on just your overall improvement. Noah Waterman has been a completely different player 
than what he was a season ago. That makes a huge difference. The willingness to defend on this team, and Ken Palm's rankings going into the game against NC State had them as the 10th most efficient defense in all of college basketball. So here we are lauding all this, like, praise to what their offense has done, but their offense was 20th in the country. Their defense is 10th. If you're going to win inside the Big 12, you have to defend. Like, you're, you're not going to score 95 points a game in the Big 12. It's just, they're, they're too good. Like, you play Houston, and it's like going to the dentist and having asking them to remove three of your teeth, but don't give you any Novocaine for it. You want to feel the pain as you go through it. That's what it's like playing against Houston for 40 minutes. Baylor, very difficult on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, there's so many good defensive teams that compete. I think Kansas State is, is a pretty consistent defensive team under Jerome Tang and a bigger part of why, you know, they went to the Elite Eight. And remember where they were projected, by the way, a season ago in the preseason poll. How many people believe that Kansas State was going to win the Big 12 tournament? Zero, if you looked at the poll. I think they were selected 12th. Uh, BYU selected 13th this year. And I said this on the on the broadcast over the weekend. There is 0% chance that BYU is going to finish 13th in the Big 12. And, and I did my projections. And I have my projections for where I think they will fall in conference play. I think I had them at 11 and 7 in conference play. If you're 11 and 7 in conference play inside the Big 12. I'll going, take it right now. You're going to be a 4 or a 5 seed in the Big 12 tournament, which means you get a bye. You're wearing a home color uniform when you go and play in the NCAA tournament. And, and I don't see this BYU team losing any of the remaining non-conference games. But there, there's no there's no one that you look at and go, hey, that's an easy win. There isn't. Um, and so the consistency and the need to be consistent within that, I think, is going to be – that'll be the true test. Mentally and then physically the wear and tear of this season. But the fact that they got – Khalifa to play as well, uh, considering the fact that he wasn't even suited up on Thursday. And then on Friday, he basically played starters minutes and played very, very well as a facilitator of the basketball, uh, rebounded extremely well. I, I think that interior depth is going to be really key when you get to Big 12 play, especially when you're playing against somebody like Hunter Dickinson uh, against Kansas. 11 and 7 in uh, the Big 12. We, we were hoping for 7 and 11. Um, but you're you're big enough on BYU to where you're like, no, they could have a winning record in the Big 12 as currently constituted. Yeah, and, and, and I think that could fluctuate. Could they win 12? Maybe. Could they win nine? Yes. You know, could you be nine and nine? Um, but if you look at the recent standings over the last couple of years, if you're nine and nine, again, you're you're like in that five, six range still. I mean, it is a gauntlet. The Big 12 is the best basketball conference in the country. And it's crazy to think that BYU was in for basically a decade, right, in the WCC and well, never yes, yep. won a title in anything. And you go to the Big 12 and everybody goes, well, they didn't win a title inside the WCC. What are they going to do here? And this team has a special kind of thing about it, man. Like, just being around them, like, they have fun. And, and the true test will be this. Look, you're going to go through a losing streak inside the Big 12. It's just going to happen. You're going to lose two, three games in a row. Nobody cares right now who's getting the credit for scoring the basketball. Nobody cares right now, um, you know, if, if they get, you know, these minutes or that minutes. Or this, everybody just seems to be very copacetic, and we're like, hey, we're very happy. Everything's going good. We're winning games. When you lose, that's when cracks can form. And the key will be for this coaching staff, 
and, and for this roster is to remind themselves who they are, even in those moments. And if they do that, I, I think at the end of the, at the end of the day, um, this is going to be a team that wears a home color uniform in the NCAA tournament. And, and I think for BYU, this is going to really elevate the program from a, a notoriety perspective. Every game you, you're playing in conference play is an event. And it should be treated as such. Like your fans really show up for those St. Mary's Gonzaga games that I would do. And maybe when USF came into town, it was a little bit like, ah, we're okay. Well, the, every game now has to be a, a, a St. Mary's Gonzaga type feel inside uh, your building. And I, I think this bodes really well from the recruiting standpoint uh, for Mark Pope uh, and the program. And there's special things going on at BYU right now. It really is. I thought the football team had a, had a had a good year, not a great year. You know, I think there's fans that obviously would be disappointed on Saturday the fact that they they did not take care of business when they had the lead. Uh, but you look at women's soccer and the fact that they took on perennial power North Carolina and in the final 30 minutes of that game dropped a four piece on them to to go ahead and advance to the College Cup. Uh, there's a lot of optimism I think around BYU's campus, and I, I think there's a lot of excitement around BYU's uh, athletics, and I think that all of that benefits everyone it doesn't just benefit one program it benefits all and and i think that that's probably the reason why this move besides the financial reasons uh the reasons why this move was made it actually it it actually can help lift byu to a place that i think a lot of byu fans want them to be at on a consistent basis well so far so good at six and oh fresno state on friday in the delta center in salt lake Sean, we appreciate the time, and uh, hopefully you get a game in Provo so we can uh, celebrate you having a rapper in person. I just want a cougar tail. Like, I mean, like, I had somebody bring me Dunkin' Donuts maple bars, and I'm like, this is nice. It's kind. Dunkin' Donuts makes a good good maple bar. They do. But we all know it's not. It's not the original. No, it's not. Sean, we appreciate it, man. No worries. Why he's a BYU fan favorite. A fellow cougar tail lover yes like myself absolutely the 19th ranked BYU men's hoops play Fresno State on Friday night at the Delta Center in Salt Lake looking to get that win coverage for the game begins at 8 a.m. or 8 Eastern on BYU radio with the game tipping off at 9 Eastern on Big 12 now on ESPN plus and BYU radio get to 7 and 0 boys go get them dogs up next is BYU women's soccer playing with house money at this point after that dramatic win over North Carolina and a return to the College Cup is it enough already? We'll discuss in the whip. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to Studio B. I am Spencer Linton. He is Austin Colley. Let's roll out your Wednesday headlines. Start with BYU women's basketball. Suffered their first loss of the season to Wyoming last night, 86 to 74. The Cougars trailed by as many as 16 points and stormed back to take the lead with four minutes remaining, but was unable to hold on down the stretch. Lauren Gustin scored a season-high 26 points, getting after it, to lead BYU. The loss bring BYU's record to 6-1. Up next is at number 12, Utah, on Saturday night. Man, when BYU took that lead last night, I thought, okay, they're going to do it. Wyoming scored 23 points in the final four minutes. You can't let that what, happen. What, what in the world? You can't let that happen. Try and bounce back against a really good Utah team. BYU women's volleyball had four players selected to the all Big 12 teams yesterday on the first team and a unanimous selection, Aaron Livingston. Joining Aaron on the first team, 
the Whitneys, Whitney Bauer and Whitney McEwen Larinus. And on the all rookie team, a budding star at BYU Mia Lee. Congratulations to all four. The fourth seeded Cougars host Weber State this Friday night in the first round of the NCAA tournament on a path to try and get to another Sweet 16 if they can just hold home court. Is it just me or is every athletic field right now or sports other than football just getting they're, they're killing they're, they're next it's, and women's sports specifically Austin. right like the women's sports at BYU elite we're dominating everything elite. but football okay go BYU women's soccer speaking of domination had four players named the NCAA division one all midwest region team Laveni Vaca Olivia Wade Katoa and Brecken Mozingo were first team selections and midfielder Jamie Shepard was named to the third team congrats to you ladies the number one seeded Cougars apart today for Cary, North Carolina, ahead of playing Stanford in the College Cup semifinals on Friday. More on that in just a moment. And it's never too early for some NFL draft news. We talked about Kingsley Suomataia earlier. We expect him to go. Oh, ESPN's Field Yates has Kingsley listed as one of his just outside the top five NFL draft eligible offensive tackles for the 2024 NFL draft. So to me, that screams Second round, maybe early third round, Austin. Possibly. If he came back to BYU, I honestly think he could make himself into a first round draft pick. He's that good. Maybe the combine will be good enough that he can sneak into the first round. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, the combine for me, at least for the offensive line, dude, it's, it's always big, right? The combine plays a huge part, huge role in, in uh, where, where some guys get drafted. I mean, you take uh, Freeland. Yeah. Right? He did so well with such, such an athletic. I had such an athletic showcase uh, during that combine. He got a lot of guys' attention. All right, we'll see what Kingsley decides to do here in the next few days. Those are today's headlines. Now we whip it. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. How about some opinions? Austin, start us off. Okay, so as we just mentioned, right, ESPN's Field Yates has Kingley Suamatai just outside his top NFL five draft eligible uh, defensive tackles. Did you see enough from Kingsley to feel confident he will be a first-round pick this season or not? Have we seen enough from Kingsley? Should he yeah. come back for another year or should he have come back for another year? <sighs> Again, I think he's going to go. Um, I feel like right now he's probably a second-round pick. And I think that the combine could help him sneak into the latter part of the first round. But I, I believe, like, if he came back to BYU for one more season, like, went all in with a new offensive line coach, someone that's brought in to, like, specifically help him, he could become a first-round draft pick for sure. But is that is that enough to make you want to come back for a full additional year at BYU if you're going to be a second-round pick? or a, Like, I, I don't know. Maybe he believes he's already good enough to be, like, a mid-first-round pick. That's yeah. the case he's going to go? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a toss-up. I wouldn't want to be coming off this year entering into the NFL draft, especially with all the notoriety or bad notoriety that the offensive line has gotten. Fair point. That's a fair point. Is BYU women's basketball, we just announced lost to Wyoming yesterday for their first loss of the season, proof that BYU should never play in Laramie again? Listen, no, no offense to all those in Wyoming, right? You're never going to catch me in Laramie. <laughs> Nothing good happens in Laramie, Wyoming. Right? Uh, played up there once. Not great. Not right. a great experience. Not a great experience. Not, not an amazing. You're already starting with your back against the wall. Odds are because you stayed at a, you know, a, a, a Motel Six, uh, you know, with with no heater, no 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 heat in the room, right? You're already starting with the back uh, against the wall. Anytime you go up to Laramie. 
Uh, unfortunately, BYU football is going to play in Laramie next year. Did you know that? Oh. Non-conference game. That's going to be rough. In Laramie. And Wyoming's pretty good. We may need to reschedule that one. They're pretty good. They are, they are very good. They, are very <sighs> good. they, they, built, they built that program up. Whether okay. you want it to happen or not, it's going to happen. Is the women's soccer team playing with the house money after making it back to the College Cup? What do you think? I said yesterday that I feel like they're so good and they've accomplished so much. Like, if BYU lost in the Final Four to Stanford, I would be the first to welcome them back, applauding them the whole way. Like, yeah. it's been an incredible run. Like, it, it's so – they're so good and so elite. Like, oh. to get back to another oh. college cup? Uh, to completely disagree. Really? Yeah, you were there last year. If you don't win the thing, right, that, that anything less is unacceptable. Really? Yeah, you, you're, you're proven year out, year in, year out. You're one of the best programs in okay. the country. Okay. It's time to go win one. If you don't win one – don't come home. That's how much faith I've got in the BYU women's soccer team. Let's go, Cougs. No, you're, so you're taking all that money. You're doubling down, Let's baby. Let's go. Come on. You're doubling down. Let's go. Anything less of that trophy is, is a failure. Wow. All right. Come on. I, uh, okay, I think, I think I'm starting to get on board mentally with that, Austin. Let's go, man. Okay. They're so good. They are so good. They prove it year in and year out. Ten seniors. Maybe because they have ten seniors, I, you're right. Yeah. So it's go time. Let's go. Up next, Eddie Hecker to BYU football. In his final collegiate season, was undoubtedly one of the best defenders on this Cougar team. His path to Pro Bowl was anything but easy. If you haven't seen his deep blue, you should. Eddie Hecker, we go inside his story next on BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Back to BYU Sports Nation live in Studio B. It's time for our Deep Blue segment. And the game of football, frankly, was very much a way out for Eddie Heckard. It gave him a path to escape some downright tragedy in his early part of his life. This is Deep Blue featuring Eddie Heckard. I had pictures for football that day. Little Eddie went to get his hair cut. We stayed right across the street from like a shopping plaza. I could just walk across the street an area in which I begged and pleaded with my brother not to go back to. I remember my dad, he gave me the money, got my hair cut. Then as I'm coming back home, I see one of my dad's closest friends like running towards me and his hand was bleeding or whatever. Then he's like, somebody got your dad tied up and they robbing him. Eddie was born in the North Las Vegas Hospital. At the time, his, his mom was incarcerated. My dad was in prison or whatever. I picked him up from the hospital, uh, but that was already the plan that um, his parents had put into place. So I got the call. You know, she did the best she could. Obviously, when my brother came home, Eddie was his first, you know, first order of business. And, you know, he got him back with him, and it was beautiful to see. He raised him, he raised him right. He directed him and he guided him right, regardless as to what else was going on. You know, he made sure he stayed on track. And he put me in track, and I was playing football right away. I think I met Eddie in like 06. I ran into his father. He knew about the program we were building. Said that he was a really good player. And uh, we brought him out. And from the first day, man, one of the best kids I've ever coached. Uh, right out here, man, he's won like four or five championships right on this field. And um, just kept going. I excelled in football pretty fast. I don't know, like, how or from what. Like, I was always a good tackler. 
My dad was like pushing me as well, but it was just like more of a reward behind it. Every time I mess up, like I give him a dollar. Anytime I get it right, he'd give me back money. It was a father and son bond right there, and it was it was awesome to see. Once he committed his life to like staying out of jail and stuff, he did. Cause a good dad in my eyes. But back then, we only have a pot of like three fathers active. Ed was one, and like I say, he was trying to do right, you know, by his boy, and then trying to bring him up the right way. He was doing the best he can do, and he was doing a great job, you know. And it was just sad to see, you know, it all come to an end like that. Somebody got your dad tied up, and they robbing him. I seen, I think, the first officer that arrived. He started bringing out the yellow tape. I was like, whoa. And at the same moment, Eddie come running across the parking lot. The fire department wasn't able to gain entry into the house because it was an older house. And with that kind of security gate, they couldn't get in. And here's little Eddie walking through the crowd. I didn't even see him. He walked up to the fire people and said, will this help? And he gave them his door key in order to get in the house. The officer asked me who I was. I told him I was his coach. We uh, had practice. So um, I just put Eddie in the car. I still didn't know what was going on at the moment. And uh, we just took off, you know, to get away from what was going on. I kind of had some ideas, you know. That ride to practice, man, you know, looking in the rearview mirror at the kid. He was back there, man, tears, and he was confused. He didn't know what was going on, you know. He was scared, and I was scared for him. We grew up out of the crack era. We come from the crack era. So basically, it was a situation where he was selling crack. Once Lil Eddie was born, he never, once he got out of jail, he never used crack no more. So, but he was hustling. You know, he was just, he was in his home. Let people in that he was acquainted with. And they jumped him, you know, um, roughed him up, blunt force trauma. They was gonna try to rob him. My brother wasn't gonna give him it. He wasn't gonna give him whatever they was asking for. You know, he could have probably just gave it to him and been alive, but that's not how we built. And they killed him. And um, they tried to burn the house down in order to cover up evidence, but it didn't work. It didn't work. If I would have just walked straight home, I probably would have walked into it or something. And I think about that sometimes. It's just it's the way God handles things. And, and everything happens for a reason, so I feel like that's the reason. I'm sure he has some morning days, but no, we was. We wasn't gonna let him sit in the corner and just, you know, soak in it, you know. We just, we kept loving him, man. Just, let's keep playing. Let's just, you know, your dad watching you, man. Let's go have this game for your dad today. You know, let's go keep doing it. Let's just keep going. Uncle Kyle and Marissa was there for him through everything. Like, they was at the graduations, at every game, making a way, just making sure that he was happy as much as they, as much as they can. So I know they probably couldn't get him everything, but he didn't know that probably. Like, they made a way for him. And still, like, he he look up to them. The chain has been broken. The chain was broken when he got his scholarship. The chain was broken when he entered into college. The chain was broken when he graduated. The injuries in college, the, the just the ascent that he had, you know, being a partial scholarship guy to a full scholarship guy to an All-American, it wasn't easy and it didn't come easy at any stage. And the greatest compliment I can give him is he's very resilient and he's done things the right way. Even though you come from like a poverty neighborhood or hood with a lot of violence, like you can make it out. Like you don't have to just be stuck in it and, and do what everybody else doing and, and going down the wrong path. Like 
Like, you can make it out. Like, now you got the kids down the street, like, oh, I want to be like Eddie. Like, go to college. Go be great. Go let everybody all come together and watch you play. That's what breaking the chains is to me, like, just changing that name for ourselves, starting a new generation of another lifestyle. Uh, I believe by faith God has not brought him this far to not fulfill whatever Eddie's heart's desires are and whatever my prayers have been for him. You know, I, I live like that, and I'm going to keep on pushing it. I'm going to keep on pushing that through my mind, putting it in the universe, and, you know, and, and instilling whatever I can in him to keep him encouraged. I know he definitely making his dad proud. I don't even know if he know he's making his dad proud, but if we proud of him, his dad for sure proud of him. Eddie Heckard, an instant favorite for BYU fans. He told me after the game at Oklahoma State, he had long dreamed of a pick six. He'd never had one his entire collegiate career. Wouldn't you know, his final college game. Wish he was coming back. He got that pick six. Wish he was coming back. Ah, oh, I wish he was coming back so much. Maker. Up next, what do you believe is BYU football's number one offseason priority? Today's elite response next on BYUSN. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back with this question. What is BYU football's number one priority heading into the offseason? Our elite voice of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated comes from the Brentar 14 on X who says, an O-line coach that could teach the linemen to block their assignments fundamentally sound and aggressively. A dominating O-line can fix most, if not all, of BYU's offensive problems. Give me an accountability guy. Today's Rise and Shoutout presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. We're going to give it to the BYU Athletics creative and social media team for their production of The Cut, specifically for women's soccer and the comeback over North Carolina. Chills, man. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Our thanks to today's guest, Sean Farnham, as well. Austin, thanks for hanging out today. Thanks for having me. Sorry to Dennis Pitta, you couldn't make it. Single receiving uh, receptions leaders only. Yeah. Wait, wait. Single season. Single se Okay, so he's not included in that. He's not included in that. Indeed. Sorry, Dennis. Yeah, go ahead and look up who that is. <laughs> For Austin, I'm Spencer. Shout out to Travis Bright. See you back here in Studio B tomorrow. Go Cougs.